Welcome to the Movement Made Better podcast, powered by Stick Mobility. We are your hosts, Dennis Dunphy and Neil Valera. Today, we are very excited to have our guest on, Dr. Christopher DePrado. So we will turn it over to you, sir, give a little background to the listeners for us. All right. How are you guys doing? Like you said, I'm Dr. DePrado, which is a physical therapist at UCSF Medical School. There, I've been actually teaching, treating, doing some research for about the last 10 years, maybe a little more than that even now. Time's flying. COVID, we lost too. So, you know, it's maybe eight years of actual work. <laughs> And then the rest of the time, not so much. But there, I treat two days a week in a hospital-based clinic where we see anything and everything. So I treat eight-year-olds to 98-year-olds there. And then two days a week, I'm at Cal in their athletic training room, working with athletes at the NCAA level, along with some of the pros that come back uh, for some of the maintenance and touch-ups and consults and things like that that happen. So at UCSF, that hat I wear in a research role a little bit, as well as I was formerly faculty on the BPT side. And now I'm more faculty on the orthopedic residency side. So there I teach uh, in modules on knee mechanics, cervical modules, as well as some other manual therapy concepts related to running injuries and running mechanics. And then when I go to Cal, it's basically a lot of hands-on, both manual therapy as well as retraining and, and taking care of some of the more complex things that come up, right? And athletic trainers, I think, bandwidth at that level is very thin and it's very challenged to keep up with it all um, because they have to travel with their teams. They usually have two teams each year. Mm -hmm. So whatever team's in season, they have a lot of attention towards and whatever team they don't have in season at that point, it gets neglected a little bit. So it's challenging for them on a scheduled basis. So I've been doing that for a while. And then I teach on the side for about the last 10, 11, 12 years now for mild fascial decompression, which is basically the fascial mechanics as related to negative pressure devices. So we kind of latched on to the whole idea of cupping with movement and especially movement with loading is better than cupping by itself. And we started doing that at Cal back in 2008 and has really taken off in the areas of, you know, professional teams, NCAA programs and Team USA. So we worked with Team USA in 2015, 2016. And that's why you saw the Michael Phelps effect of all the suction cup marks in mm -hmm. 2016 at the Rio game. So yeah, and that, that's what we've been doing a lot of and then trying to find better research on how to understand these tissue mechanics and different things that go with it. Because I'm sure as you guys know, it's a vacuum of misinformation and other things that aren't really science-based that are claims in the fitness world as well as the physical therapy or other rehabilitation management professionals world. So it's an interesting place to be. We know very little of what we say we know, but it's at least exciting. <laughs> It's an exciting place to, I think, be an investigator because you have so many questions that are out there needing to be answered. I think that's the thing is there are so many questions. Oh, yeah. Because the more you delve into this, the more questions keep popping up. And it's just like, it is, it's a very mind-blowing concept when you think about that. Absolutely. I think it's really mind-blowing to see, even at the highest levels, how challenging I think it is to be evidence-based and... Mm -hmm promote things that have a clear answer. I mean, it, it's really challenging because A, the things we learned 10 years ago got flipped on their head and are now 180 degrees different answer than we used to say. Or B, we've said some things that we kind of just assumed that nobody ever actually found a direct answer for. So we're, we're kind of the blind leading the blind sometimes, I think a lot in sports medicine. And it's not catching up to where the evidence even is right now, let alone hopefully where it is in, in 10 years from now. So it's, it's a very challenging place to be. And I think be a, an actual evidence-based practitioner right now. What is one of the major misconceptions that we are still proliferating 
in regards to let's say fascia and how it helps with biomechanics with movement of the body totally i mean there's so many things right now um <laughs> i think one of the most interesting things is the pendulum swinging away from breaking up fascia right mm-hmm. the idea of hands or tools or foam rollers or even stretch effects breaking apart fascial and again quote unquote adhesions mm-hmm. and we, we just had this instagram kind of post and and trying to dispel the idea of the differences in what you're doing with your hands and with your tools and with your movements that has an effect on fibrosis which almost you can't ever do anything about versus adhesions which a lot of people throw that term around and it's not i think as accurate as needed for what you can do from a mechanical standpoint versus a more preferred term of what we use is densification, thickening, and biochemical changes within the connective tissue matrix. And that has a little bit of more plasticity to it, right? There's a little bit better changes that can happen when you think of things as densified as compared to something that is an adhesion. An adhesion really is a term that came out of abdominal surgery. So it's mostly like, you know, open and laparoscopic procedures for visceral organ issues that they go in and after that surgery, they have adhesions that develop from the fibrotic processes of fibroblasts laying down way too much collagen. And I think that term got blown out of proportion and used in manual therapy and other things. And it's really not that appropriate for what you can do with your hands when you think about trying to change connective tissue dysfunction. And so that's the really cool stuff that is like, we're just starting to actually map what these terms mean and be more direct in our usage of them. So I think, you know, fibrosis has been thrown out a a while ago saying, well, you can't really change fibrosis or that collagen cross bonding. You can maybe theoretically, you know, have some adaptability to adhesions, but not when you talk about manual therapy with your hands or some other like basic tool applications, but densification, that's a thickening, that's a connective tissue biochemical response that does change. And that has some changes depending on how much energy you put back into that system to try to change it. So that's the exciting territory, I think, of one of the big misconceptions of this whole fascial world. When you talk about the energy putting back into it, are you talking about the actual movement itself or submaximally loaded movement? Yeah. So when you want to change actual tissues, you have to break apart bonds, right? It comes back to chemistry. And we had to go through chemistry for a good reason, I hope, because I had to go through it like three times because it was just not <laughs> digestible for me. But when you think about chemistry, you're breaking apart often hydrogen bonds and that's releasing energy. So you have to put enough energy into the tissue matrix to actually have hydrogen bond breakage. And so some of these things that we do with tools or movement or forces or loading, Say something like a Jefferson curl, where you're trying to increase tensile strength in these tissues, and you're trying to work on mobility while you also build strength. And that's going to require reorganization, right? And you cause a small inflammatory response, which changes into proliferation, and proliferation changes into remodeling. And hopefully over time, you get a stronger, better back and better posterior chain. So that energy comes with loading, or it comes with enough tissue work. You know, and that means time and force, right? So simple physics principles that you have to put enough force into a tissue over a longer enough time to actually get lysis of these connective tissue, you know, bonds between some of these particles and things. So it's very interesting to think of when you, you think about what you have to do. And it's a lot of people in manual therapy talk about energy as like 
that chi thing and the mm. you know holistic idea of the energy around us and i think there probably is something to that but i don't think there's something that i can say scientifically about that for probably 25 more years <laughs> i i don't think it doesn't exist but i think empirically we have no concept of how to measure that yet so the energy i'm talking about is loading forces mm-hmm. is tissue you know cross friction with a tool or with a cup which is my preferred you know modality of use and then moving with that cup on while loaded right and that's putting enough force into these tissues for a long enough time to have hysteresis right that chemical reaction that breaks apart bonds so that's the stuff that i'm talking about when i say energy yeah good clarification cuz some people might take the energy of the more holistic side. Yeah, we tend to, yeah, there, I think there are some people that may think of it. And I, again, I don't think that's wrong. I, I think it's a totally different language and we haven't met somewhere in the middle to really work out what that means. But it's not something that we have the technology currently to measure very accurately. So, you know, with the cupping, would you combine that with the Jefferson curl to say someone that's completely healthy and not in the rehab setting? Absolutely. So say you're a professional athlete and you're in your off season, you've had some chronic hamstring pulls over the last five years. You're fine now, they rehabbed it six months ago, but you constantly have tightness, right, in your hamstring. Mm -hmm. And that's just where you feel it's just always as tight and you have, you know, strained this muscle three or four times in your career. What I think is beautiful is that your posterior chain, right, the whole thing from your scalp fascia all the way down to your plantar fascia posteriorly, all works together, right, synergistically to move into that like triple extension if you're lifting or even in a Jefferson curl example, you know, to be able to go through that eccentrically and control the parts together. But some people love to overcook their hamstrings and maybe they have a motor pattern that taught them at some point to use the hamstrings more than the glutes or to use the hamstrings more than the lumbar extensors or to Mm -hmm. use the hamstrings more than their soleus. So what I'm saying is that from a foundation of biomechanics and tissue loading, I can put cups on the hamstring and try to improve that gliding surface of those tissues that is always a little bit hypertonic and doesn't have as much of that mobility, right? Mobility is flexibility plus strength control. That's why mobility is better than flexibility most of the time, mm-hmm. yep. right? And mobility can be improved when you use a modality like you know a cup on the hamstrings while going through a Jefferson curl where you're making the other tissues work harder and the hamstring gets a little bit inhibited. So when I put a cup on the hamstring with a Jefferson curl, I do it because I'm trying to inhibit that muscle from being overactive during an exercise like that, thereby transferring some of the forces onto the other stuff that's not doing as much of their job. So it's basically not to just break up fascia. It's there to improve gliding surfaces, which you do with some of the MRI studies that maybe we'll talk about that we've done but you also are improving the loading capacity of the other tissues because the hamstrings are actively insufficient, right? So that whole insufficiency principle. Hmm. Interesting. I thought it would almost bring more awareness to the hamstrings. Yeah, so very good point. There there are different reasons for using cups. My preferred way is what I just described. Mm -hmm. Loading, improving inhibition, uh, or sorry, improving the opportunity for other muscles to do their job by inhibiting a muscle that's overactive, right? likes to be used more than it, it should. Mm-hmm. You can also use a lower pressure on the hamstrings if you wanted to in a different type of exercise. I don't think Jefferson curls a, a good example, but maybe another exercise to recruit the hamstrings with a lower pressure. 
So if I'm using a high pressure in a cup, I'm pulling more muscle towards the belly and volume of that cup. Mm -hmm. When I use a low pressure, I'm actually not pulling very much muscle at all. It's more of a sensory effect, right? So when we think about kind of the manual therapy stuff out there, you usually have sensory effects, which are facilitatory, right? We're trying to draw attention to an area and make maybe postural awareness. Picture somebody that has scoliosis, right? They have a curve in their thoracic mm -hmm. spine and they have a side bent right curve. And I could put two cups on their right lat, thoracolumbar fashion lat, and mm -hmm. say, separate those two cups from each other. And I work on improving that concavity by that fascial awareness, right? Because I have two cups on there and I'm telling them to pull the cups apart from each other. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden they sit up with a better, kind of more midline posture. But what I like to do more of is loading with using a higher pressure to inhibit muscles, okay? So there's a couple of different ways of using that kind of stuff. But I think all in all, you're really, you have to choose the right pressure to understand what you're going to have the effect on the system with. If you use a high pressure, you can't really focus in on that because it's overwhelming for that, that system. It's like an overload, right? Versus if you lose a lower pressure on some of these cups, I think you'll draw, draw more attention to it in that kind of sensory way that you alluded to earlier. When you're doing the cupping, do you do more isometric focused holds or uh, loading or more dynamic? Or all of the above. I mean, I think the way research is really pointed to, especially recently, is time under tension. Like as long as you get the time under tension, you could use two sets of holding one and a half minutes, or you can do four sets of 30 reps for four seconds each. So as long as you're you're equating the time under tension, you really can do it either way. I think it's easier to start off with isometrics because they have a better ability to produce the movement pattern that you're looking for. Mm -hmm. right? It's the same that holds you teach them in that pattern. And the beauty of isometrics is that you get plus or minus maybe 20 degrees outside of that range that you're holding at, right? So it's not just the hold that you have, it's 20 degrees plus or minus on that range that you're in mm -hmm. that is also getting retrained. So those muscle fibers at that specific length tension ratio is really good. So I, I like to start with isometrics, but eventually progressing towards, you know, concentric, eccentric aspects of things. Now, if someone were wanting to use the cups, let's say with the hamstrings, where specific, is there a specific position on the hamstring that you're applying that cup? So yeah, it's a great question. I think traditionally speaking, folks would say you have points, right? There's certain points that are more powerful or more, have more effect on the system than others. We could talk about those being trigger points. We could talk those about being acupuncture points. We could talk about those being muscular tennis junctions, maybe sometimes, or even the motor unit, right? That motor end plate. They're very similar most of the time when you're thinking about where people are thinking are more powerful points. It's really interesting to think about the idea of an acupuncture point being the same as a trigger point, being the same as the motor end plate, right? Where that motor nerve terminates. That research isn't totally solid yet, but it, we're starting to get closer to understanding that's probably what people are talking about. So I think some people ascribe towards that. It's a little bit, I think, elusive. And so I still gear it towards densification. So the points that I look for are where are things thicker and more stiff than you want them to be. Like we want fascial stiffness. I think that's another big misnomer out there. It's like people are like, I want to work on my fascia so I'm not so, so stiff. But you need fascial stiffness for tensile strength to be strong, right? So you don't want to like take away people's fascial stiffness. That's, that, that makes no sense at all. Um, I think a lot of times... People in the manual therapy world 
error on that idea of, well, let's get fascia to be more supple and, and you know, be less rigid. And it's good at rest, but when you are lifting something, you're going to push something, or you're going to stretch something with load, you need good fascial tensile strength. You need good fascial stiffness, right? But it's the, you know, trying to work out what areas are stiffer than others. And like I said, hamstrings sometimes doing more than glutes because that's just the pattern that you learned how to produce hip extension. So I think some of those things are, are challenging because you can't really pick the point on everyone by saying, well, everyone at three inches above the joint line of the knee has densification in this particular area. Yeah. I think it's individual to individual and you have to treat the person that's in front of you. So that that's the hard part, I think, for a lot of people to digest is that you're going to have to constantly use your brain and understand the mechanics that you see, the palpation that you use, and then identify right to left differences or you know superior to inferior or anterior to posterior, right? You're comparing differences. And so that's the best way I can recommend that people kind of look at a, a system to try to identify where do you put the cups or where do you work on these loading patterns or where do you work with mobility when you're talking about you know some of the mobility stick things. I, I think you have to identify where their weak links are and where their hypertonic tonic overused areas are. And that comes back to the idea of like densification of some thickening of that connective tissue element. So, you know, going along that posterior chain, if someone was overusing their back and creating hip extension, we could place the cups with a high pressure on their back exactly. to teach them how to, how to use their glutes and their hamstrings to oh, create the extension. Do it all the time. I do that all the time with hip hinging, right? So if someone doesn't understand how to hip hinge, I'll take their back's ability out by putting, you know, four cups on their lumbar spine. Now they don't want to move their back very much and they learn how to hip hinge. So you use that as kind of that motor retraining aspect of it too. Yeah, exactly. That'd be a great combo with the sticks, pushing the sticks on the base of the wall too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. To really get that posterior totally. lock in. Yeah. I mean, that's the fun part about myofascial decompression. All we care about is that you're doing some sort of movement with the cup on. And, I, I, you know, we started doing this at Cal with our Olympians in 2008, 2009, 2010, and just when you move with it, you just get a more dramatic effect. And there was not great science at the time on it. And we we're like, wow, that just, that seems to work faster and it works for a longer period of time. My outcomes, I got to faster than I would have if I didn't use it. And we started seeing those patterns, right? And then we really started diving into tissue mechanics in like 2014, 2015 to understand kind of some of the things that are going on with it. Because it's really a poorly understood modality overall. There's, I mean, there's just so many claims out there that are not science-based that are that are challenging for this great modality of cups to be paired with some of the other things. So the beauty of it is like you can pair it with Pilates, you can pair it with yoga, you can pair it with stick mobility, you can pair it with PNF patterns, you can pair it with whatever other training that you're going out there and doing. It's just taking some of that mechanical load and you don't have to beat it up with your hands or with your tool, you know, your grassing tool, your scraping tool, or whatever. You just leave the cup on those areas that are more densified and are doing too much. And then you can retrain them with those loading patterns. So the beauty of it is like, all right, I, I'm all about squatting. I wanna squat heavy, but I wanna put a cup sometimes on those areas that you like to use too much. Mm -hmm. And maybe we'll take the weight back a little bit and do some training at that and then get your weight back up again and then go after it. Wow, that's awesome. Is there a, a certain type of cup that needs to be used though? I mean, cause there's all kinds of cups. There's all kinds of stuff. Buy. No, I mean, as long as you're getting the pressure that you're looking for to affect the tissue that you want to affect, uh -huh. that's what matters. So let's break that down. 
There's silicone cups. Mm -hmm. There's glass cups. Mm -hmm. There's even bamboo for fire cupping that's out there. Um, and then you have pneumatic plastic cups, okay? Yeah. And the, the problem with bamboo and even some of these other silicones that are colored, like there's different colored silicone cups out there is you can't see the tissue behavior of what's going uh, on. So that's my, that's my, I think, I like to stay away from things I can't see the tissue behavior, right? So anything that's out there, whether it's bamboo or rock pods, right? Or silicone things, I don't like them because I wanna see the tissue while it's going through these mobility exercises. And so I steer away from those because of that. There are some nice silicone ones that are very hard that seem to be a little bit better. And so I'm not saying not to use silicone ever, but the problem with silicone is you can't generate as high a pressure as you can with the plastic pneumatic ones, okay? So I lean towards the plastic pneumatic because I can see the tissue because it's clear and I have control over how much pressure I use with that. So those are my two big kind of ideas of criteria to judge whether the cup is going to be appropriate for the thing that you're doing with that client at that time, right? There's a place and time for those other things. But for me, I want to see the tissue's behavior, right? And I want to use enough pressure to be able to get to the tissue level that I want to get to. And some of the silicone ones are a little bit lighter on the pressure and they won't actually pull any muscle at all. Hmm. So those could be more used for some of the awareness stuff and yeah, sensory, sensory things stuff that we talked great. about. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah. If you're just doing sensory awareness stuff, you can almost use anything you want out there. But I, I argue like you can also just put a Band-Aid on it and feel the stretch effect so, of the yeah, Band-Aid. That's true. <laughs> yeah. 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 So at that level, like, do you have to have a fancy tool at all? No, I mean, from a self-efficacy standpoint, I think use whatever you have available to you. You don't have yeah. to go out and spend more money on other things, you know? We had met doing a little presentation for MLB just a couple of weeks ago. Yep. And I know you had talked about BFR yep. in regards to rehab purposes. And I absolutely found that a fascinating topic oh. uh, because BFR, for people that don't know, it's just, it's restriction of, of flow, blood flow. So uh, did you want to delve into that a little bit? Sure. If you mind? I think the, the really cool part is, so we're about to launch a new BFR course um, through our platform as well. And we're, we're kind of oh. tapping into this idea of positive pressure and negative pressure, right? So negative pressures are cupping thing that we've been doing for the last 12 years with you know myofascial decompression and then positive pressure is almost like the opposite we're trying to occlude and shut down the ability for blood to get to an area mm -hmm. to be able to work at a certain intensity level to make the muscle work harder doing more with less right it has less metabolites coming to it, it has less blood flow it has less things there available for the mechanical and the metabolic processes that need to go on while you're doing your workout so the really cool i think frontier of this BFR platform is that you're using positive pressure, which is going to occlude arterial flow to the muscles. While in our past, we've done with our company a lot more of the negative pressure, right? Suction cups with movement and retraining and loading. So now we're trying to get both ends of the spectrum, basically, right? You have traditional training here where people like to lift weights and do mobility work and do the different things. And it's great, but sometimes it takes a toll on your body. And I think often you can use things like BFR in your off days. You can use things like BFR post-surgically. You can use things like BFR when you've had a stress reaction and you can't load the way you want to load. You can use negative pressure when you have an injury. You can use negative pressure like the myofascial decompression stuff when you've had a stress reaction. You can use negative pressure to help mobility of tissues post-surgically when you can't walk with any weight bearing on a limb. That way you continue to keep mobility in tissues that aren't moving as well as they used to. 
So it's really kind of giving you two augments of options to try to treat tissues that have decreased loading abilities. So the BFR stuff, I've been using that since about 2016. And it's just an opportunity for you to, I think, load at such a lower level of intensity while still getting really good biochemical responses in that kind of muscular system. And so I like to use it most of the time when people can't load the way I want them to, like whether it's, again, post-surgical or in an injury or inflammatory response, because you only have to load the tissues at 20 to 40% intensity. Most of the time to get strong and to get hypertrophy of your muscles, you need to load at 70% plus, right? Mm -hmm. Most of the time for that, that's really important. And the BFR gives you the ability to load at like 20 or 30% and still get the same output, the same effects, right? So at the end of the day, if you can load and you have no pain and you have no injury, you don't really need BFR. Mm -hmm. But anytime that you sustain a small strain or you're just having an off day and you don't feel like you can load at the high intensity levels you're used to, BFR is a great option, right? So you have this as like this adjunct modality that you can throw on when you don't feel like you can really push yourself to that 70, 80, 90% intensity level that you need for kind of remodeling of your tissues. And it's kind of the same thing as cups. Like you don't need the cups, but when your tissues are really dominant in a certain pattern, you can train the other parts to not, you know, to try to make up that loss of like motor ability and movement pattern retraining but it's really hard. And the cup just gives you a little easier entry into how to take down the influence of these overactive hypertonic areas and try to load more areas up and down that chain that aren't doing as much as they can. So it's kind of a, you know, a unique idea of like two sides of the spectrum operating to still kind of give you that outcome that you're looking for. So if I had an injury in the, if you had, if you were dealing with someone that had an injury in the foot, yep. where would the occlusion point be? Yeah. So no matter where your injury is, whether it's in your hip or in your foot, you always put the occlusion cuff okay. as proximal up the thigh as you can. Okay. There's a lot of pro protocols out there, but basically the really important take-homes for blood flow restriction is that you want a very proximal placement of your cuff and want your cuff to be as wide as you can make it, mm. right? So some of these, you'll see like voodoo bands or rock floss things. When you put that on, you can occlude some of the arterial flow to your muscles mm -hmm. and a lot of venous flow. It's very easy to occlude venous flow. But when you see how narrow that band is and as it tourniquets the limb, mm -hmm. it's very important to understand the thickness, the width of that actually is a safety measure. The wider that cuff or the wider that amount is, the less pressure you have to use to get your occlusion. Oh. it's really important to have a nice wide cuff so if you're ever out there on the market looking for blood flow restriction you know cuffs try to get the ones that are actually wider the width actually makes a big difference so you don't have to go so high on the pressure wider cuff lower pressure more narrow cuff a higher pressure is needed to get the same effects oh, so no matter what you want to put it up high on okay. either the lower extremity mm -hmm. and up high on the upper extremity Okay. But you'll still get effects on something like a glute, even though your cuff is below the glute. Okay. It's just not quite as good an effect as you would on the foot. So anything distal to the cuff, you get a little bit better effects, which is super important to, to keep in mind. So is there a particular brand or a style of cuff that you would recommend? 
No, I mean, like the, the gold standard out there is, is a Delphi unit and it's offered through Owens Recovery Science. They're kind of the, the gold standard out there, but the units are $5,000 to $6,000. <laughs> so, like, you have your own system in your gym or your own system for home use. There's a lot of other things out there on the market that are going to be a much lower price point. The beauty of that fancy system is that it attenuates the pressure as you go through your range of motion, meaning as you squat down lower, it's going to reduce the pressure because you have a higher pressure of your limb exerting back out forces against that cut. So it'll adjust pressure through the range of motion to make sure you have a nice standardized pressure all throughout the exercise. Versus if I put one on that doesn't have that occlusion attenuation, basically it's going to go really high as I get to the bottom end of my squat and then it'll lower it back down to the, the rate that I want when I'm up at the resting state. So, you know, there's no brand that I recommend. I think there's a lot of things out there, many different price points. You have pump pneumatics, like a blood pressure cuff that you would use mm -hmm. with a, a hand pump. Mm -hmm. You have mechanical ones that have, you know, the ability to generate the pressure for you and you just hit how much pressure you want. And they have these really nice, fancy attenuating machines that'll give you exactly what you want and adjust the pressure throughout the exercise. So, you know, anywhere from, I'd say a hundred bucks to $6,000 is kind of the price point that you look for. Like I said before, some of the rock floss and, and voodoo bands and things, I think if you use it just for a short period of time, it's not too unsafe. But if you're going to do this consistently, you don't want something that's going to be A, not predictable on the pressure you use because there's no way yeah. of really knowing what pressure that is. But also B, you need a, a wider cuff. And most of the time, those elastic bands will scrunch into a smaller area as you go through your exercise. Mm. So that's the yeah. interesting part of it. So there are a lot of safety concerns with it. So are you taking the cuffs off in between sets or is it you just keep it on for the entire training session? No, you feel like you're going to die, basically. <laughs> um, it, it's something where you're going to leave it on usually anywhere from four to six minutes, sometimes okay. up to 10 minutes. Yeah. And so if you're going to do four sets of an exercise and the protocols out there from the research standpoint are generally 30 reps on your first set and then 15 reps on your subsequent three sets. So a total of four sets you're going to leave that on the whole time. So any it takes anywhere from four to six minutes most of the time on the exercises I prescribe. And at the end of four minutes or six minutes, you are dying. You're feeling like your max effort, even though you're only lifting, let's say you're yeah. doing a bicep curl, you're only bicep curling eight pounds, but your max effort, you're, you can't do another set. And that's the whole point, I think, is we have all these theories on why it works, but mechanically, I think the exertion and the amount of force that you're trying to recruit really just gets all your motor units to go at once. So it's really a, like an effort level that really is, I think is the difference maker for BFR overall. Yeah, I've heard of rock climbers starting to use it. Um, I mean, I don't know if you've ever rock climbed, but the, the amount of pump you feel in your forearms is exactly. it's, cra it's crazy. Holy. And yeah, now I'm going actually right after this, I'm going down to our, our rock climbing gym here called Mission Cliffs in San Francisco. Oh, perfect. Oh, oh, nice. that, was the, that was the first gym that I ever rock climbed at. Yeah, it's a great little gym. So it's two yeah. blocks from my house. It's real, real close. And so are you going to bring your BFR cuffs with you? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> I will do a little BFR stuff with my hangboard. So I have a little hangboard oh, here. Okay. And I'll do it with that. To actually go and work out with the cuffs like you're gonna you're gonna last 20 minutes and you're done right okay <laughs> so i rock climb a lot what is what's your protocol for for the hangboard so hangboard stuff you still are gonna do isometric holds okay um and you can do i'd say anywhere from 15 to 30 seconds at a time and then you just add on more sets right so a standard protocol for a bfr unit would be like for something like a leg press and that, like i said you do 30 sets of leg press for the first set 15 sets for the second, 15 sets for the third, 15 for the fourth. The cuff is on you the whole time. 
And that's a lot of work. And you're going to work through that amount and it's going to be challenging. When you think about a hangboard, you're doing it for time and attention still. Mm-hmm. And so you're thinking about maybe that first set, I'm going to try to go for 30 to 40 seconds of hanging, right? Maybe 45 if I'm really pushing it. And that's my first set. And then I'm going to do the next set, probably about half that. And I might do four to six more sets at the lower time because overall, the, the point is time and attention mm-hmm. and metabolic costs, right? And that's what you're trying to tap into. You're trying to increase the metabolic costs on each set. And then the blood flow to the muscle that usually comes and brings some of those metabolites isn't available. And then your body kind of has this freak out moment and says, well, I need to learn how to do more with less, right? It's just like anything else we do. We have a stress to the body and we have an adaptation. And that stress adaptation is exactly what this blood flow restriction is all about. It's it's so simple. If you think about it, anything you do, it's stress and adaptation. If Mm -hmm. I put a cup on someone, I'm putting some pressure on some tissues and sometimes those capillary walls rupture and they bleed. And that's why you have a mark afterwards, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And the body comes in, repairs it. And now those capillary walls are thicker. And the next time I put a cup on that spot, it's not as dark as it was the first time. Stress adaptation. The body is super resilient like that because it wants to survive and it's going to learn how to do it with less. That's fascinating. Yeah, I was, I was just trying to think about, you know, with my hangboard, I'm typically doing shorter isometric holds, like, you know, anywhere from eight to 12 seconds with weight, Yeah, you know, to improve tendon strength. Now, if if I was to, I guess, keep the weight and add BFR, I wouldn't really be able to. You won't be able to do it. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. That's what I was You could on set one, right? Set one is, is you're basically burning through all the metabolites that you have. That's why sets two, three, four are consecutively hard. So you could probably get away with the first set being weighted, but after mm-hmm. that, you don't need it. And this yeah. is one of the, the arguments against BFR is that, well, if you can lift 70%, BFR is really not a great adjunct to your like hard, heavy, intense days because it really doesn't add that much. Yeah. But on your off days, mm-hmm. if you have an injury and you can't load at the rate that you want, like at the end of the day, loading is always going to win on top, right? That's going to mm-hmm. be the best thing. But if you can't load the way you want to, or if so you say you have an off day, or maybe you have a little bit of a cold and you just can't push yourself, do a BFR, and then you're asking a lot more of it to do it with less, and you don't have to load yourself so heavy. So yeah, if I was doing a hangboard protocol, I probably would take the weight off. You don't need it. Because if you're doing the weight, you probably don't need the BFR part. Yeah. But if you have no weight, you can do BFR and still probably get the same outcome which is the beauty of it. It's like cross-training a little bit for, or think of it like periodization for that metabolic response of things right yep. it's just a new stimulus a yeah totally new stimulus do you find that people probably overuse bfr once if, if the, it when they discover it i think the lay person may run into that but that's someone that doesn't come and talk to me you know mm-hmm. most of the time the people that are working with me are ncaa athletes pro athletes or sometimes even the triathletes here in the bay area and they're pretty well read and they they kind of understand what to look for I've seen it a couple of times where they, I think, overuse or overdosed some of their BFR applications. And I think, you know, you just have to change the parameters that you're doing it with. I think you could do BFR four days a week all the time, as long as you kind of cycle through some things, but you're going to keep the load intensities really low, right? Mm-hmm. And you're going to use it as like your off days or some of your recovery days and do it in that sense of trying to get tissues to continue to work, but in a recovery sense. So yeah, I, I haven't seen it a ton. I'm sure it's out there. I'm sure people that just like 
some people are taking the therabands they get from their PT, right? Mm -hmm. And they just, instead of doing their rehab exercises for the rotator cuff, they're just wrapping oh. it around their arm and then going back to lifting dumbbells. <laughs> so I think it's that type of personality that I would be cautious with. But most people, I think, can figure out pretty quickly that that's a lot of stimulus. Like BFR hurts. It, it's it's really intense. And we need to get some real real bands. Yeah, we're gonna have to invest in some real bands. And... Yeah, I mean, I think the the top three out there outside of the Delphi, which is you know again five to six thousand, it's great. But Air Bands are are the new one that you run off of an app off your phone. They're really nice and convenient for home use. Oh uh, yeah, we've seen those. Smart so. cuffs are really nice. You have Be Strong. You have H Plus. There's so many brands out there that are kind of in the same category. Um, so you just kind of see what your price point is around those. But, you know, I have I have a couple of each. I have airbands, I have uh, smart cuffs, I have the Delphi unit at, at uh, the clinic. So you know, I'll play around with a couple of different ones and they're not that different. But like I said, if you use a smaller, more narrow cuff, you're just going to have to use a higher pressure and that's less comfortable. Yeah. And it's just, you know, a little more dangerous for the tissues when you think about it. Like there are some case studies out there that talk about some nerve problems after using BFR excessively. Uh, right, because right. you can think of compression causing some nerve irritability. So you have some maybe compression of the neurodynamics on your musculotennis, musculocutaneous nerve, and then you have some issues with your arm a little bit with some sensory paresthesias or different things like that, um, or some people with sciatic issues afterwards after using it excessively. So those are very one-offs. So it's very very low likelihood of that happening, but it is something that if you use a narrow band too often, you could probably could do some you know, irritability to the nerve structures. We were talking about you putting someone in an alter G mm -hmm. to yes. de deload their body weight, but then you were going to, you were including BFR cuffs as well. Yeah, right. So if someone running. has a stress reaction in their metatarsal. They've had it twice in the last 10 years. It's just one of those areas that, you know, it seems to get overloaded and we probably need to change their biomechanics of running a little bit, but let's say they just need more strength around their ankle, around their foot. But right now, if anytime they do heel raises on the stair, it's painful. Anytime they do TheraBand at a high enough intensity where they can only do, you know, eight reps to actually get strong, they're not doing 50 reps. Sometimes it's, you know, too painful. So we can use BFR with a lower intensity where it's not so painful and get the effects that we're looking for. So start to build that structural integrity around that joint, around those areas that seem to get excessive bone pressure or loading forces and basically put them all in the alter G earlier than we would otherwise. So we can get them back to a running program much earlier by adding BFR before going into alter G before going into, you know, treadmill or outdoor running. So it's kind of like this nice segue to bridge the gap, you know, mm -hmm. to be able to get people to go back to the activities they want to do faster. So I know that you work with older clients at the hospital now using BFR on someone that may have some high blood pressure. Now, is yes. there, is there an issue there? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of precautions and contraindications. So as long as you respect some of the cutoffs on some of that stuff, I think it's really not that hard to choose who it's appropriate for and who it's not appropriate for. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of things to think of people that have clotting issues or, you know, family history of DVTs, or maybe you have sickle cell trait, you know, mm -hmm. or your family has had an issue with sickle cell anemia in the past. Or, you know, thrombocytopenia, you have platelet count issues. Like there's a lot of things to watch out for when you think about this tourniquet having an effect on that, you know, circulatory system aspect. So yeah, we go through all that in the, in the course material, make sure that people are really safe 
And again, this course that we're coming out with, it's going to be like a three-hour course built for anyone. So if you oh, are cool. okay. a gym rat and you just love the, the, the idea of training in your off days, like a lot of people do, this could be for you. If you are you know, an NFL linebacker and you want to do better in your off season, this, this course could be for you. If you're a physio nice. out there, this course could be for you. If you're a fitness professional and doing personal training out of a, you know, your own studio, this course could be for you. So I think that'll be the fun part of it all is like, we're trying to make it easy and simplistic with enough science to really back up what the claims we're making are. Very nice. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. We'll definitely be. Yeah. It'll be super fun. Yeah, um, we'll because I think right be now there's, there's a gap in the ability for, I think, the general public to feel safe and use this great modality on their own. And in this, I think the world is pushing more and more towards self-efficacy, right? What can I do on my own and prevent the injuries from coming instead of dealing with them afterwards or rehab myself as much as I can so I don't have to go to PT three times a week the way we used to, you know, 10 or 15 years ago. I think, I think the idea of self-efficacy is really I think on the main stage now. Yeah, that's a great point. And that was the thing that I'd like to see we wanted you on for is more guidance to let people know there are protocols that you do want to follow because we do know how people tend to be, especially the lay person that finds something. They're just yes. all like, oh, it's that whole, if one pill is good, 16 yeah. must be great. <laughs> you know, so, so you're like, no, there's things you want to learn how to do. Yeah, sometimes less is more. And, and that's the beauty of like, I think, the education piece. And that's what I love doing is, all right, I saw this cupping thing when I got started with this in 2006 in more holistic medicine. Mm-hmm. And I'd see them with 30 cups on the back. I'm like, huh? I don't <laughs> understand that. And they wouldn't move at all. And I was like, well, why wouldn't you move with them on? That would produce way more tissue glide. And I'm sure you guys know with stick mm-hmm. mobility, like fascia loves compression decompression Mm -hmm. and shear forces yes shear forces are where it's at Mm -hmm. like shear actually excites the things that make the lubrication of hyaluronic acid in these tissues way way better and so to understand that you can do too much or you can do too little you got to find that happy medium of it all right and so to understand how you can do that for yourself is really important i think overall but looking at you know cups doing that and bfr doing that and using sticks to add load tension while you're going through movement retraining right? You're adding forces that are going to add shear to some of these fascial connectivities that you're looking at. The research that you've been doing and some of the research that we've seen from Dr. Keith Barr, Mm -hmm. as far as using, uh, really focusing on connective tissue health, the techniques you're talking about, I mean, we're talking about really increasing the rate of recovery for, as opposed to the normal modalities we've been seeing. Yeah, you would think so. There's not great data on recovery aspects of it. But when you think about BFR in your off days, it's really awesome for thinking about what that can provide from a biochemical standpoint to tissues needing that metabolism increase, right? Mm-hmm. They're trying to get the right things there. They're trying to get the, the metabolic byproducts out. And this just has that kind of effect of the blood flow to some of these tissues to be perfused a little bit more robustly. And it's the same thing with using a cup, right? You put a cup on, you're actually going to I- increase that blood flow rate over the course of five minutes. And you're going to really get a dramatic return on the amount of blood flow going to those tissue areas that you're trying to specify, right? Now, at the end of the day, you can sit on a bike and you can get blood flow to all your body all the time. Mm-hmm. But it's, are you getting into the tissues that maybe have had that old injury from that old hematoma you got to your thigh? And are those tissues getting the same perfusion as the other side that never had an injury? And I think that's the interesting part of science where we need to get a lot better data 
but it totally makes sense from a physiologic standpoint, right? So the idea that tissue perfusion is not equal and opportune in all of your body and all the equal amounts symmetrically is probably something that we need to understand better, I'd say in the next five to 10 years. But that's the beauty of like these type of studies. Like you can use BFR, you can use it with and without, and then measure perfusion of these tissues in an injury versus a normal healthy individual. And that's the type of science I think that has to be done still. The science that is out there right now is really looking at the idea of fascial health from a, again, stiffness point of view, like what's the tensile strength of these fibers? And then the lubrication is it able to go through a range of motion because it has good sliding and gliding properties to it, right? So that's the stuff that I think in the last 10 years has gotten uncovered pretty well. Like we didn't even know what the cell was that generated the hyaluronic acid before 2014. Mm. It, it, it didn't, we didn't understand it. We didn't have a name for it. And that cell is called a fasciocyte. And that was work done out of Padua University with Carla Stecco. I mean, you just start talking about the, the beginning of the conversation about the mechanics of fascia. I mean, we're just scratching the surface right now. So just, I think see some of these changes and see what it's going to have on like an effect on a normal human versus an injured human is kind of, I think, the next 10 years of what the work needs to be done, which is really, really cool stuff. That's fantastic. When is your uh, course going to be available? Yeah, so right now we have myofascial decompression, the use of cups with loading and movement. That's mm -hmm. online. It's all online. Anybody can take it. That's been out for like the last year or so. Um, so that's just found on cuptherapy.com. And then our BFR course, which will also load through cuptherapy.com, is going to be out probably in the next two months. So hopefully we'll be able to produce that. The best way to find that is we have a new Instagram handle for our BFR and exercise retraining course which is called the strength therapist. So it's just the strength therapist, all one word. And that's our new IG handle for that. And then our other handle for myofascial decompression is just cup therapy um, is our IG handle for that. So simple stuff. Well, doc, thank you very much. That was a fascinating, a lot of information. Fascinating. We say hashtag fascinating. <laughs> fascinating conversation. Yeah. All the fun stuff. But yeah, I, mean, I think the, the coolest part is like keep your ears open and keep your eyes open because new yeah. stuff's coming out every month on this. We are shifting into an area of understanding and things that we just didn't understand. Or we said we thought we understood it this way, but we actually found the science to be pointing the opposite. So it's a lot of cool stuff. We have a lot of great, I think, research content on our Instagram um, that you can find for, like I said, cup therapy and then the new stuff with the BFR. It's, it's fun. Well, thank you very much. And well, since we're right down the road, hopefully we'll get to meet up sometime. Absolutely. Yeah, I'll take a quick drive up. Yeah, to we'll go, to, we'll go rock climbing. We'll go rock climbing we'll go to, and hang uh, out. Planet Granite, San Francisco. You ever go there? Yeah, I like Planet Granite. I'm a little partial to the Touchstone because they have that new gym in Oakland, which is um, Pacific Pipe. And that, that's the biggest gym in the United States now. Oh, yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah it's gorgeous. I haven't been there. We have to go check that giant. out. It's so giant. Yeah, so we'll meet at Pacific Pipe. We'll bring some sticks. We'll bring some cups. We'll start, you know, posting some stuff about stick mobility with cups on. All right. That's a deal, bro. Very nice. Real nice. Well, thanks again, Doc. We appreciate your time. And to uh, all the listeners out there, thank you again. And until next episode, be good to each other. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Be sure to hit that subscribe button. And whatever platform you're on, either Apple, iTunes, or Spotify, please, if you could leave a review, we'd appreciate that. If you have any questions that we can answer for you, be sure to leave those in the comments also. If you're looking for more information on our education, our products, please go to www.stickmobility.com. And also hit that subscribe button to that YouTube channel. And don't forget our live Instagram classes three times a week. If you want to join in, grab your sticks and hit that 45-minute class.